following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. It's wonderful to be together with you. Uh, my name is Derek McCollum. I'm one of the pastors here. That was my Capricorn, another pastor who was leading us through a lot of our service, and we are grateful to be opening God's Word together. We are in the Gospel of Luke. We're doing a series in Luke that we started in Advent before Christmas that we're going to carry through into Easter. And right now, we are in a portion of this larger Luke series, a kind of a mini-series that we're calling Journey to the Cross. It's where Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, sets his face toward Jerusalem to accomplish what he had come to accomplish. And today, we get to talk about something that's, um, I think, pretty prevalent. Sometimes, you know, you open up the Bible and you think, oh, well, this is old, and these are old people, and this is a different time, and it's a different place, and it's a different culture, so maybe we don't deal with the same stuff that they dealt with. But I think you'll see, actually, pretty pointedly, how Jesus speaks directly to our hearts this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 12. I'll start reading in verse 22. If you have your own Bible, you can follow along with me there, or you can follow along with the screen overhead. And he, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. It stands and we stand beneath it. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts today, open our blind eyes and unstop our deaf ears and soften our hard hearts, that we might come to know you more deeply through your word, and that in knowing you, we might come to love you, obey you, follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to start with a question, the big kind of question that I think this passage really begs for us this morning is, how is it possible, is it possible, and if so, how do you start to loosen the grip of anxiety on your life? 
Now, I know nobody ever deals with anxiety, right? In 1947, as long ago as that, the poet W.H. Auden wrote a poem called The Age of Anxiety, and he was really kind of talking about what had happened, especially in Europe, with two world wars that had destroyed so much, and this kind of malaise that had set over the world, and big questions about what is life going to actually bring. And so, generally speaking, this anxiety just permeated all of European culture. That's 1947. But I don't think we've really gotten over the age of anxiety, have we? In fact, psychologists will tell you that anxiety is one of the things that most clearly marks our culture today. Uh, the data that we get from things like the National Institute of Mental Health will tell you that 38% of girls and 26% of boys 13 to 17 deal with some form of anxiety. 38%, 38% and 26%. In 1985, UCLA uh, started tracking uh, anxiety on campus, and they would simply ask this. When a freshman would come onto campus, they would ask, you know, how do you feel? Are you feeling overwhelmed with how much you have to do? And in 1985, 18% of the students said yes. By 2010, that had grown to 29%, and in 2017, it was 41%. I don't have today's data but I'm guessing it's not any lower. In fact, we have new anxieties today, don't we? We have FOMO, fear of missing out. It's actually one of the things that does pervade our culture. It's that idea that's usually kind of stimulated by social media. You see what somebody else is doing. Oh, all of my friends are at a party and I'm at home. Or the Johnsons just took a European vacation and I did not. And those feelings of not being a part of what's going on begin to stimulate anxiety in us. And so typically, we respond to those things by kind of over-functioning in our relationships, wanting more and more of feelings of being included, of course, which usually ends up excluding us more. It's kind of a terrible, vicious cycle. But there's one new uh, anxiety, FOMO. There's also another anxiety that we deal with a lot. It's separation anxiety. And no, I'm not talking about clinical separation anxiety, especially that children oftentimes deal with. If you're a parent of young children or if you've been a parent and had young children, you know sometimes that can be awful, right? A young child feeling separated from mother or father and the kind of deep anxiety that that brings to the child. I'm also not talking about separation anxiety as it is often found in dogs. If you're a dog owner, and you've come home someday to half of the couch being eaten because your dog just didn't like being alone, there's some separation anxiety in your dog there. Now, no, I'm actually talking about the new form of separation anxiety in our culture, which is anxiety from being separated from your cell phone. You've all experienced this. I have too. You lose your phone for like 13 seconds, and your heart starts to beat faster, and your face feels a little flush, and you're starting to wonder, what in the world am I going to do with my life if I don't have my phone attached to me? I won't be able to live. It's real. Cell phone separation anxiety. Of course, many of us also know the deeper anxieties, things that hit us really hard. In fact, oftentimes the things that we think are going to cure our anxieties are the things that actually end up kind of making them worse, don't they? If you're a young mom, you just had a baby, 
and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to raise this baby? How in the world am I going to handle this child? And you're starting to become anxious. And so what do you do? You go to your local bookstore and you pull down a book written by a man probably that tells you all of the rules of exactly how to raise your baby. But at some point, your experience and the rules in the book start to not really match up, right? And so, what do you do? Well, the baby can't be wrong. I mean, it's a baby. And the book can't be wrong. I mean, it's a book. As a matter of fact, it's in print, right? Of course it can't be wrong. So, what's wrong? It's got to be me. And your anxiety spikes again. It's higher than it even was before. Or maybe you're just dealing with the stuff, honestly, that Jesus is even talking about in this passage. I know there's probably some of you here who really are wondering, am I going to be able to pay the rent next month? Am I, am I going to be able to actually buy groceries soon? Am I going to be able to put gas in my car? Or your anxiety is driven by relational things around you, right? Aging parents or difficulty amongst your children or family stress. It's real. Anxiety runs through our lives and through our heads and through our hearts and really weaves its way in many ways through our culture, doesn't it? So how do we begin to not only loosen our grip on anxiety, but even to see anxiety's grip on us start to loosen so that we can find some freedom? Well, I think Jesus actually has some hope for us in this passage. And I think what Jesus is saying to here really clearly to us is that we actually see our grip on anxiety loosen when we start to tighten our grip on the Lord. When our grip in trust on the, in the Lord begins to tighten and we hold more firmly to Him, what we see is our grip on the things around us, our anxieties, and even anxiety's grip on us begins to fade and loosen. I don't think there's going to be a time where we never deal with anxiety, but I do think that Jesus gives us some hope here of freedom. And I want us to look at four things pretty briefly that Jesus highlights in here that is hope for us in the midst of anxiety. Here's the first one, and <laughs> it's a practical one. I love how practical Jesus is. Worry won't do us any good anyway. Look again at verses 25 and 26. This is what Jesus says. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do a small thing such as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus says, listen, you can worry all you want, but it's not actually going to change anything. It's not going to do anything for you, is it? It's not going to add any days to your life. It's not going to change any outcomes. Um, scientists have actually recently studied this and came up with facts that, um, surprise, surprise, actually support what Jesus says. In fact, uh, in this one study, they found that 91% of the stuff that we worry about never happens. 91% of the stuff that you stay up late at night worrying, I'm so worried that this is going to happen, and it's keeping me up late at night. And guess what? The vast, vast majority of it never happens anyway. We're worrying for nothing. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the great movie Bridge of Spies, Steven Spielberg-directed movie and starring Tom Hanks, and Hanks plays a lawyer who's representing a Russian spy who's on trial for espionage. And there's this one great scene where they're in the midst of this trial, and things are not going well for his client, this Russian spy, and things are just kind of falling apart. But this guy is just cool as a cucumber, and he just seems like nothing ever phases him. 
And so the lawyer, played by Tom Hanks, like turns to him. He's starting to get anxious. He turns to him and he says, don't you ever worry about anything? And the guy says, would it help? No, of course not. And that's what Jesus is telling us, right? By worrying, you're only increasing your own anxiety. You're not actually helping. Let's move on, though, because I think Jesus gives us more than just practical. He gives us some beautiful truths about the Lord's care for us. Look at this second thing. The Lord knows exactly what we need. Look at verses 29 and 30 again. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Isn't that an amazing phrase? Your father actually knows that you need them. Uh, I have heard, have not unfortunately experienced this firsthand, but I've heard and read great stories about the kind of hospitality at the Ritz-Carlton hotels. And they are famous for their, what they call it, even elevated hospitality. And part of their kind of secret sauce of hospitality is that they actually know things about you that you don't think they know. For instance, if I stayed at a Ritz-Carlton and I called down to the, uh, to the front desk and I said, hey, I actually like a firmer pillow. Can you send up a firmer pillow? Well, they'd send you a firmer pillow, but they'd also mark that down in the notes um, that next time you stayed, before you even asked and not even knowing they were doing it, they would have put a firmer pillow in your bed. And so you'll lay down feeling perfectly cared for and not having any clue that they knew it already. Well, the Lord God um, is better than the Ritz-Carlton in the way that He cares for us, right? He knows all of our needs. We actually said some of this in our confession of sin today when we quoted from Psalm 139. Listen to those words again. O Lord, You have searched me and You've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The Lord knows us because he has knit us together in our mother's womb. The Lord knows us, and he cares for us. Secondly, not only does the Lord know what we need, or this is third, actually, the Lord cares for us more than anything else. This is in verse 24 and 27 and 28. Listen to verse 24 again. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then skipping down as well to verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus says, look, the birds, they don't store things up. They don't worry. They get up every morning and they depend on the Lord to provide for their needs. And look what happens. God does. The birds are provided for. And how much more value are you than a bird? By the way, if you've ever wondered that question, here's the answer. A lot more. Yes, Jesus cares about everything that he has made, but he cares most about you. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. If he's going to care for the birds like that, and they're just birds, how much more is he going to care for you? And he says, okay, look at the flowers as well. 
These flowers, a lot of scholars would say, Jesus is probably talking about purple anemones, the flowers that he's highlighting here, purple being the color that the king's robes would have been made of. And he says, the flowers, these beautiful purple flowers, they're like the king's robes set out, and they're beautiful, more beautiful even than the way that Solomon, the richest king in Israel's history, was clothed. They are clothed better than the best of all kings. And if God is going to care for the flowers like that, how much more so is he going to care for you? If he loves the birds and he loves the flowers and he loves you so much more, then, friends, you are going to be cared for. Peter picks up on this as well in 1 Peter 5. Listen to these words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. What an amazing combination that is of the, those two things that we've just talked about, right? What we've said is that God knows and God cares. If God knows us and he knows our needs and he cares for us personally, that equation equals provision. God's knowledge of our needs and God's loving care for us means that he is going to provide deeply for all of our needs. But it gets better because look at this last thing, is that not only does the Lord know us and care for us, but actually caring for us pleases him. It gives God pleasure to care for us. Listen to verse 32 again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus says that to care for his children makes God happy. That's what the words mean, is that God is happy to care for us. He loves to give us what we need. And we are anxious about so many things. I got to tell you, this weekend, and I know you're so tired of listening to me complain about my cars, but you're going to have to hear it again. This weekend, none of the three cars that live in my house were working, okay? And so it, my anxiety was skyrocketing. How are we going to get places? What are we going to do? Do we need to buy new cars? What's going to happen, right? And so I woke up on Monday morning with three broken cars and thought, oh, you know what? I forgot what passage we're preaching on this week, so let me look it up. And this was it. It's like almost like, you know, Jesus knows my heart or something, right? Like he was making a direct phone call to me saying, hey, guess what? I got this. And what Jesus says here is that not only does he know, not only does he have it, but he, he takes real pleasure in it. It makes him happy to love and care for us. And while I'm so busy thinking about stupid things like cars and how he's going to provide for my meals or my clothing or my transportation, what Jesus says is that what makes God happy is not just even giving us that stuff, it's giving us the kingdom. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not 100% sure what that means, that God is pleased to give us the kingdom. But here's what I do know. It's better than the stuff that you're worried about right now. It's better than the little things that have a hold of your heart. All right, let's turn and do a little application and talk about how do we actually hold more tightly to Jesus. Actually, before we do, um, let's do a couple more things. 
First of all, if you would just think about with me for a second, let's this illustration. Um, I, probably the only thing I talk about just about as much um, as my cars is my yard, right? And so there's another yard illustration, right? I'm talking about grass here. But, you know, if you go out and you look at your yard right now, especially in the winter, um, there's grass and there's weeds. And right now, there's probably more weeds than grass. But something's really fascinating is that the weeds always grow in the place that the grass doesn't grow as well. Have you noticed that maybe about your yard? Is that the places where the grass is really flourishing, they just don't have very many weeds. But the places where the grass doesn't grow very well, the weeds keep coming up. And maybe you've tried this like I have. You can go out and you can pick the weeds and you can pull them. But the thing is, they're going to keep coming up. The trick is actually not to get rid of the weeds, but to increase the flourishing of the grass. Because where the grass is growing, the weeds get choked out. And that's exactly the same thing that happens in our hearts, isn't it? The weeds are our anxiety. The grass is God's good care for us. And the more that we actually grasp more tightly to God's care for us, the more that we dwell on His love and mercy, the more that we know deeply His provision, it starts to choke out those weeds. The less, the more that we at least lessen our grip on our anxiety. All right, another thing, before we jump into our application, I just want to say a couple of things, a couple of caveats. The first is this. I don't think Jesus is saying that if you are medicated for anxiety, you need to go throw it away. That's not what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Um, The chemical and the spiritual are not exactly the same, but there is overlap, I believe. And I do actually think what Jesus is saying is if you are dependent upon your medicine, then you may want to think more about that. But if your medicine is enabling you to depend more closely, more deeply on Jesus, then it's doing its job. Sometimes you need to be freed in order to be able to engage and to do the work of transforming your mind and to deepen your trust on Jesus, right? So the goal is not to depend on the medicine. The goal is to use the medicine to depend more deeply on Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, is that I don't think Jesus is saying that anxiety is sin. But I do think that he's saying that it's a symptom, right? It's something that we can actually look at on the surface that shows us what's going on underneath, that shows us what we might be clinging to inappropriately and how we can cling more tightly to Jesus. Okay, those two things being said, let's jump into some application before we close. Five quick things that I think can help us grasp more tightly to the Lord and loosen our grip on anxiety. First is this, name your anxieties and bring them to the Lord and bring them to others. There is a certain power in naming exactly what you're dealing with, in speaking it to the Lord and bringing it to Him in prayer, and even in bringing it to people around you to be able to say, hey, I need you to know that I'm dealing with this anxiety right now. Our our number two core value in our church is that truth experienced in community produces change. And that community piece is huge, and it is especially helpful when we are dealing with anxious hearts. Bring them to the Lord and bring them to others. Secondly, remember how the Lord has cared for you currently. Remember how the Lord has cared for you this week. It was a very helpful exercise for me to have to say, you know what, here I am at the end of the week, Lord, starting the week with broken cars, and guess what? I got everywhere I needed to go. 
I was never stranded anywhere. I was fully and completely provided for. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. The process of thanking the Lord for his provision actually loosens our grip on our anxieties. Third, and Jesus says this one very specifically, set your mind on seeking his kingdom. Set your mind on seeking the things of the Lord. Jesus summarizes the law as loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? When you are setting your mind on loving someone else, whether that's God or your neighbor, it's much harder to set your mind on yourself, isn't it? We get tied up in our own anxieties, and the cure oftentimes is not to look deeper inward, it's to look outward. So the more that we set our minds actually on the things of God and on His kingdom, the less the grip of anxiety will grip our hearts. Fourth thing, and this may sound funny, do stuff. (laughs) What I mean is that I don't think that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't be anxious, just be lazy instead, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, there's an amazing dynamic that happens here is that as our trust increases, as we depend more and more on the Lord, as we come to know the Lord is sovereign, He's in control, He cares for me, He's got this, it actually causes me not to bail out, but to dive in. I get to engage more deeply when I know that the Lord is at work. I get to engage more fully when I know that I have the freedom actually to fail. I get to engage more fully when my trust is firmly placed in the Lord. And then here's the last one, give. Did you notice how at the end of this, Jesus kind of ups the ante? He says, listen, not only don't be anxious about your stuff, but how about this? Give it away. Give it away. Why would Jesus tell us to do this? I think it's actually found right here at the end of that passage. Let me read it to you one more time. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Anybody kind of read that and think, oh, no, I think actually maybe Jesus got it backwards, right? And he's supposed to say, where your heart is, there's your treasure, right? The stuff I love, you know, gets played out into the things that I have. That makes sense, doesn't it? But that's not what Jesus says. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. What Jesus is talking about is heart formation. The things that we do, the things that we own, the things that we um, care for and, and revolve our lives around actually begin to shape what we love. And Jesus knows this deeply, and He knows this. If you start to actually give, it's going to shape your heart and trust to the Lord. If you are grabbing for more, your heart is going to become greedy. If you are loosening your grip, your heart is going to become trusting and generous. Friends, I'll just close with this, is that there, there is one thing that is good and right and true to be anxious about. It is your eternal state. It is your real identity before your Creator. But Jesus has taken care of that completely, hasn't He? The Bible says that Jesus has actually come to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death that we deserve, to be raised to new life, to give us new life. All of the things that should make us truly anxious in life, Jesus has taken care of. And so if we belong to Him, then there is no reason for worry in our lives. The real things have been cared for, and God says over and over, 
I'm going to take care of the small stuff as well. So I'm going to close by asking you to imagine something or do a little thought exercise here. Just take a few moments and imagine what life would be like if worry had less a hold of your heart and trust had a greater hold. Take a few moments to imagine what life would be like. I'm going to invite Owen and the musicians to come up while we're doing that, and then we'll close in just a few moments.